What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Season's greetings. This is our last episode of 2021, and I want to take a moment to thank all of our amazing guests who have been so open in telling their stories. We also want to pause and thank you for listening and supporting us, and more importantly, for supporting our guests. The goal of this show was to inspire you to take action to put yourself in the right place And we hope that these interviews and guests have given you some direction or shed some light on what is possible. We appreciate you. We thank you. Today's guest is our friend Jerry Milani. We connected with Jerry last summer when we were hoping to interview Olympic athletes. Jerry was working for USA Wrestling at the time and got us an interview with USA wrestler John Stefanowitz, episode 14, and USA Volleyball gold medalist Jordan Larson, episode 13. Jerry seems to be a guy who knows everyone and be involved in everything. In fact, he was our contact for scheduling Tony Breidinger, episode 19, Sean Conley, episode 20, and John Costacos in episode 24. What does this guy do? Jerry is a public relations executive. His job is to connect his clients to opportunities where they can build a positive public image for themselves. He has been in PR for more than 25 years working for two agencies before venturing out on his own. Jerry's the guy that knows everyone because he does everything. A quick Google search will show you he's a staple in the sports and pop culture world. In addition to being a PR executive, Jerry Moonlights is a freelance writer. His career has taken him to some really amazing opportunities, including working in collegiate sports media, working for the International Fight League, and currently Jerry is the PR manager for Wizard World, which runs pop culture and celebrity conventions across America. The best, though, Jerry's the voice of Caldwell Cougars, doing the play-by-play for Caldwell University basketball. We're grateful for Jerry, the work that he does, and the support that he has shown us. Enjoy this interview. Jerry, thanks for being here and sharing your time with us. How are you, sir? Absolutely. Doing great. Loving my Thanksgiving week. Getting uh, Try to get five days of stuff into three days and be ready for the weekend and you know, kind of chill a little bit. That's right. Then you put yourself in that coma, right? Absolutely. Nice. Well, we were just talking about the lovely scape behind you was uh, Fordham University's gym. You said it's the oldest gym in the country and got a lot of insight right off the bat. You're a sports guy, right? Where does your sports background come in and what do you do currently in the sports world? Yeah, I mean, I started like a lot of kids at age eight, nine. You pick your teams. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. Like, why are you? Why are you a Packers fan? Why are you a Mavericks fan? Why are you pick your teams to me, anybody can do it any way they want. But for me, you pick your teams when you're eight or nine and, and they're your teams forever. So I've been a sports fan probably since my dad got me my first pack of baseball cards back when I was eight years old. And what's this? And we watched the game and I've been a sports fan ever since. And, you know, it's great to be able to grow up thinking work. You want to work in sports. You want to do something in sports. I'm not going to play sports. I'm five foot four and a half soaking wet with no handle and no skills, but <laughs> I, you know, there's a way to, there's a way to still marry that love of sports and make it into a, into a career. And sports has been a big part of, of my, of my career. So you don't have a lot of schools just throwing athletic scholarships at you, but you are 
really still connected with sports through your work. What do you do? You're in PR. Tell us a little bit about what that means. Yeah. So in public relations on the big scale is when you're, when someone, a person is interested in, in some topic, they're interested in a third party reference. So whether that's, should I go to that concert? Well, I could read, I could see an advertisement and that could get me interested in going to the concert, or I could read a review of the concert and someone who's a third party reference, a, a newspaper article or a video that's on television or now on YouTube or any other of the social media, getting that third party reference for, for people is better in a lot of ways than an advertisement. Someone else who saw this thought it was good. Someone else who, um, who plays Stratomatic Baseball, for example, for one of my clients, is saying this is a great thing and I should check it out. Someone else who I know went to Fordham and thinks it's a great school. And when you read things, when you see things, when you listen on the radio, that third-party reference is important for people. So public relations people working for entities like universities, concert promoters, uh, game companies, fight companies, any, any kind of entity, whether it's in entertainment, sports, insurance, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're in public relations, your job is to get the stories told about your client that are going to show it in the best light. Now, there's other kinds of public relations, crisis public relations, where you help companies overcome issues they may have uh, in the public and make sure that um, the, the most positive side comes out. But the but the basics of public relations and publicity is getting the your, your best word out through proactive PR, reaching out, finding reporters who uh, would have an interest in your subject and would probably hopefully present you in the best light. And there's the order taking where when you're working for like, for example, with the comic conventions that I do, the, the Wizard World Comic Cons, now Fan Expo Comic Cons that have taken over the Wizard World shows, some of it is reaching out to press and saying, hey, we have these celebrities, would you like to talk to them? We're going to have this great event coming up in, in January. And some of it is folks in New Orleans saying, oh, this event's coming up in January. What can I do to help, you know, to, to, get, to cover it and to get an interview or what have you? So there's, there's, a, there's always, every day is different and every client is different and every instance and situation. And now over 30 years of doing this, I've, you know, seen a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, you you touch so many things. So I want to kind of sum this up for the layman real quick, just to make sure I have my head wrapped around it. So really, your job is to intentionally create that word of mouth marketing that we hear so much about, right? The stories and the backgrounds and things like that. Public relations is part of marketing. So marketing is the over encompassing way that a, a company or an event or a, a person or a service or whatever it is, lets the world know about what it has going on that it's happening. So it could be a, a new business venture. It could be a school that's as old as Fordham, 1841, so 175 years. Or it could be something brand new that no one's ever heard of. I have a client called 360 Hoops, which I'll talk about a little bit. Uh, that's a brand new client and they're a brand new company. And they're looking to get the word out because no one's heard of it. No one knows what it is. So the marketing side of it is going to be the advertising, the public relations, the going and, and, and visiting uh, schools to show off the product, all the things that are marketing the product that are showing the service that are explaining to people that it's out there. This is why it's important. This is good. And public relations is one piece of that. So this allows you to stay within sports, right? Because you get to represent a bunch of athletes. Actually, one of our fantastic guests, Tony was, uh, you actually brought Tony to us 
and she worked, she's working her way through the NASCAR ranks doing awesome work. So what has PR given you in the sports world and allows you to like tangibly stay connected with it? So Tony's a great example. So there's a lot of different ways you can be involved in public relations as a public relations practitioner. You can work for a college or a university in either their athletics department or overall for the school. You can work for a public relations agency, which will handle different kinds of clients. I worked at one coming out of college. I first worked in college at another school, a UMBC in Baltimore. And then I moved back up to New York and worked at a public relations agency. And they'll, that got me all kinds of different kinds of clients and different kinds of worlds. It was a sports and entertainment and leisure PR company, but it was mostly sports. So I covered the 2000 uh, Euro, European Championship soccer, Euro 2000 in, in Holland and Belgium. I covered the 2020 World Cup in Japan and, and, uh, and Korea. And those were for different clients, for Gillette was doing programs, for uh, MasterCard was doing programs, a lot of international soccer. Uh, so you can work for an agency, you can work for an, an entity like Triller Fight Club or Triller, which is a company that um, I've done some work for both on their boxing side. And then I was working with them on some of their sponsorship side. So when you do a sponsorship as a company, part of it is, in your example was Tony Breidinger, who was a great example. She's a 22-year-old um, female NASCAR driver, right? So a lot of folks who are watching this have probably saw that episode already. And, and she's you know, very um, engaging and just great personality and, and a great driver as well. She's finishing top 10 every, every race that she's racing it. And she's a couple steps right behind, but right behind uh, the, the NASCAR circuit. But I think, you know, soon you may see her as one of the regular NASCAR drivers. So in addition to that sponsorship, Triller wants to get what they call topspin. They want to get a little... A little more than just, hey, we're going to pay her money and gonna sh and she's going to be riding around with the Triller thing. What else can we do with her? So part of the agreement would be to do some to media interviews. So we set up a few media interviews with media that we thought made sense for her. It's, it's a strategic look. We wouldn't just go and pick, you know, we wouldn't have her on Howard Stern show, for example, we, 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 you know, or something not related. We wanted, we wanted the kinds of media that makes sense for her. So a program like this, where you go in depth and it was it's, it's introspective and that got to show her in the very best light. I think an interview like this was really perfect for her. And we had her on some women's sports podcasts because that topic is important to her. And for those media outlets that we work with, that's a great guest for them. So the, the trade-off is you talked about Triller a little bit. She got to talk about, she was wearing the Triller shirt. There was some images of her with the car. For us as a public relations practitioner, we're trying to find ways to take that sponsorship and with the interview opportunities that we have, place her on places that when people watch your show or if they listen to one of the podcasts that she did uh, for the Women's Sports Podcast or anything else that we set her on, that people are going to have a positive impression of her and a positive impression of Triller. Hey, this company is sponsoring. They, you know, they think this is important enough to sponsor her and make sure she has wheels and see where her career goes. And that's kind of where, you know, a sponsorship can take on a new life through public relations. Did you go to school for public relations? Like, how did you get into the PR world of sports? Yeah, so I went to school as, uh, as my background will suggest, and as my sweatshirt would suggest at Fordham uh, in the Bronx in New York. I'm not sure what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked with, again, not having any any handle or any uh, hand-eye coordination or any size, the football, basketball, baseball, my favorite sports, they were out for me as that. So I worked with the teams. I did the stats and I did it in a way I was the, I was the public relations slash sports information guy 
for my high school teams in North Rockland in New York uh, without even knowing what that was and came to college and started working in the sports information office. And from the first, the first day at school, I'm in school. And the next day we're getting on a bus with the baseball team and I'm going to Maine for a fall tournament. And, and I just kind of like, I can do this. And this is a career. This is a job. This is, I get to work with the players and work with media and, and let people know about all these great stories. Gave me the opportunity to, you know, really there were two people in the whole sports information office. So I just, I took women's basketball. I took baseball. And I just ran with them. And as a freshman, I'm, I'm, I'm running the kind of the PR efforts. And, and Fordham's also a really big communication school. So quickly realizing that my math major that I went in as, uh, when the numbers started turning into letters and I couldn't understand how to make them work, uh, I became a communications major. And, you know, Vin Scully uh, went to Fordham. Uh, Michael Kay, the announcer for the Yankees, went to Fordham. Uh, there's there's announcers and communications people throughout the industry. There's hundreds of them. So the connections that you make in college, this, it comes back to me every single day. So every single day I'm talking to somebody um, and might there may be a Fordham connection there or they know somebody who knows somebody who was a Fordham person. So in the communications world, it was also an excellent introduction to me to the world of communications and immediately, you know, Michael Kay was coming back to, to, to visit us and, and to, to hang around. So we get to know him a little bit. Uh, Joe Favorito, who was the sports information director when I was in college, his next job was the, the PR director for the 76ers and then the Knicks. And so now Joe and I work together on projects. So a lot of these trailer and a lot of these projects, he and I are, you know, we, he, it's not really even an agency. I kind of work on my own, working on different projects, some with Joe and some not, and just kind of keeping um, that connection going. And every day we see something, oh, he's a Fordham guy, she's a Fordham gal. And we make that connection. And that, you know, it, it, part of it is a, is, a, is a what you know, who you know, but also that, that what you know, who you know, means that people trust you because you know them. It's not just, you know them because you're friends, but you know them and they trust your work. And that's how you're able to kind of keep jobs going and keep new things coming in. And when something comes up, they think of you. Uh, I just had something referred to me last week from someone who knows me through a Fordham connection and said, oh, you know, call Jerry and see what he thinks. And, and, and he's working on a small project for that now. So it's, uh, it, it's that networking, and look, in 1991, when I graduated Fordham, there was no LinkedIn. There was no, your LinkedIn was just how you kept connected with people. You, you seem to really have hit your stride with your career uh, in a, an industry that you didn't even really know existed. But you said, in, you know, in, in high school and stuff, you were already doing this stuff. You just didn't realize it was a career path. What, what advice would you give a high school student right now that is trying to decide what they're going to do with their life or what college they're going to go to, what path they're going to take? How, how can we see that earlier? I don't know if you can. Like I, I say this, my nephew is a sophomore at University of Buffalo now, uh, upstate uh, New York. And so, and he doesn't know what he wants to do. And I said, I said to him, Nick, I didn't know what I wanted to do going into college. I really, I was a math major. I'm as far away from being a math major now as I could possibly be. There's no, it's like the old Chevy Chase thing. It was my understanding there would be no math. Like, there's no math, like there's not, there's no math at all, but there's not, there's no math. So it's a completely different experience from when I entered college. So I think if you don't know, you know, find a place like Fordham or like Buffalo is a good example of a place that has a lot of different programs that are strong, that are good. If you really know what you want to do and you're into 
business and you want to hit the business school at a certain place and, you, and that's your thing, then you know, go for it. But if you're not sure and you want to, I, I would suggest a place that is going to offer you different opportunities. Uh, I took electives right away. I started taking communications electives because I knew I liked that. And then by the second part of my first year, by the second semester, I was taking all, you know, elect, I was taking all my core classes and then all just communications and history just to, you know, to bang through it. But um, that's the suggestion. And then, you know, do the things that once you have kind of found that there's a, there's way more opportunities now to be a self-starter than ever. You guys started this podcast, right? You couldn't have done this 10 years ago. Not really, not, not where you, not where people are going to see it and not where you can have the kind of conversations with some of these guests that you have. I mean, you have had some really good guests, you know, how would you ever have gotten in touch with some of those guests 10 years ago? And, and what, what forum would you have had for it? None. Now, anyone who wants to do this can do it. And then the best shows, they, they like the best shows rise, the best where the people who are committed, how many, how many podcasts do you listen to? Or do you have on your phone right now that you go on there and the last time it was updated was, was two years ago, it was three years ago that they, that they, they stopped a lot by keeping going, by whatever, you know, in the media world, there's, there's more opportunities than ever. And I think in other business endeavors, there are more opportunities than ever. Now, that means that for a public relations standpoint, that's a double-edged sword. It's good in that I have more places that I can place a good story with, but it's more diffuse now. In the old days, if you got a good story, any outlet that you hit was probably going to have a bigger audience then today, that same outlet's going to have a smaller audience because there are just more audiences. But at the same time, now I can almost call narrowcast. I can find the best places. Okay, I've got a great female athlete who's into uh, promoting women's athletics and why it's important. I've got a list of three or four or five really good women's sports podcasts or blogs that I can pitch the, uh, the story to and have that story told the way we'd like it, the way that's good for the reporter. It's, it's a balance, right? I'm working for the agents for the entity, whether I'm working for Trello or I'm working for the, the comic conventions or I'm working for whichever uh, company it is, they are my first priority. But because I want to maintain and keep a good relationship, I want to make that guest or that story work for that media entity as well. So that the next time I come back, They'll go, oh, you gave me Tony. She's great. And you're saying Ethan's going to be great. I'm going to trust Jerry because the last in interview he gave me was good. And so that's as important almost as servicing your client. And sometimes you have to push back on the client and say, I know you want this story to try to go there, but we're not ready yet. Our company's not ready to have a business story about us when you're not going to talk about numbers. I can't go to this business writer and say, sure, do a story on XYZ client. And then they do the interview and they ask, well, how much money you're, you're bringing in on your second round of funding? Oh, I can't really talk about that. Then he's going to say to me, well, next time I try to pitch a story, well, the last one you gave me, he couldn't give me any of the stuff I needed. I couldn't do anything with that. And then that's a relationship that's broken. So you have to maintain that trust with the media person that you're working with so that he or she knows that the next time you come back, it's going to be as good a story as it was the last time for them. This trust and this relationship building that you're talking about, and you kind of touched on a handful of times. Uh, one thing I noticed about you is you remember everybody's name who was in con like 
a couple degrees of separation. Is that something that you've always been able to do? Is that a nurture from the work that you've done? How do you maintain that capability with as many relationships as you're building and be genuinely authentic with it? I think it's the more distance you get from something, the more difficult it is to remember things. You know how a lot of us sports fans, we have a weird propensity for useless knowledge, right? You'll remember, <laughs> so I remember, you know, the, the end of like the Packers Cowboys playoff game in 1982 when I was crying my eyes out at 13 years old because Dennis Thurman intercepted a pass and ran it back for a touchdown. Who cares? Like, why would anybody care like about that's a useless, unimportant thing, but like way more important things. You know, sometimes I, I, I those kind of they, they escape me, but I just think it's the it's the keeping up with things so that the, the last time I thought about Michael K wasn't when he came to this, you know, to Fordham in 1987 or 88 when I was a freshman or a sophomore. It's that I remember that kind of every time I see him and I, I see, you know, see him on TV and I heard him on a, a podcast this morning. And you, you think about those things and they you know, you're, you're kind of staying immersed in the world. And I don't know that I have a, a better memory than anyone for important stuff, but, you know, the things that are kind of endemic to what I do and, and the people that I'm interacting with all the time, you know, greeting people by name and knowing who they are is kind of an important thing. Things have changed. The, the world of PR is more immediate. There's more outlets, like I said, which is good and also bad because you have to hit more places to get the same number of people, but also the job you can you can't just do one thing. I don't think anymore. I mean, you guys have this. You have your regular careers. I don't think anyone in the communications world, except unless you're you know working for a really big company and you're kind of higher up in there, everyone's kind of got other stuff going on. And you know, especially at the point when you're when you're you're working on different projects and you're working. On, I'm I'm now eleven or twelve years into really a freelance part of my career. After I worked for the International Fight League, which was a mixed martial arts organization um, like the UFC, but it was uh, a team based. Uh, we used a ring instead of a cage. There were some changes and things. We tried to run an MMA league like NBA it was really our model and NHL. That was our model. Um, and we lasted for a couple of years and that that ended. And I just kind of had to decide, do I want to go back and work with an agency and have somebody give me the four or five clients that I'm going to work on? And maybe they're great. Maybe they're the you know, the, the boring business seminars that I got, like, you never know, like what you're going to get when you're working in an agency, you might get lucky and get great clients like I had and get to go to the World Cup and get to meet Tiger Woods and get to work on amazing projects. Uh, and then you might get then there were some stinkers in there, too. I mean, there was no doubt that, that good and bad. And I was at the point 20 years into my career where I felt like I had enough contacts and enough people in the world, enough people that, that I knew would help get me some pieces of business where, you know, now I can go out on my own and, you know, working with Joe Favorito, who's kind of my mentor and you know, a big brother and the guy who, you know, is responsible for a lot of the work that I have gotten to do, either starting me on it or working together with me on it now. But I worked for a while for another agency in between after I'd worked with Alan Taylor. And before I worked with the fight league, I was with another agency. And while I was there uh, also working on some sports clients, um, we started working with the, the it, was, it was called the NICAC conference, New York Collegiate Athletic Conference. And it was a division two, all sports conference in the New York area. So it was schools like Adelphi and Malloy 
and St. Thomas Aquinas College. So mid-sized division two schools in the New York area. And these were the schools that we were the commissioner. We, we served as the commissioner's office. And after I worked there, while I was working there, I met some friends through that. And one of my friends ended up getting the head coaching job, women's basketball at Caldwell University, which is uh, about 15 minutes from my house in Bloomfield, New Jersey. So she was the head coach. And so I would start going to her games in 2006 uh, after I was not even working with the league anymore. And I knew the SID there. And he said, hey, we're going to start broadcasting our games on the internet. This is 2007. He said, do you want to do the broadcast? You're coming to all the games to see Linda's games anyway. You might as well, you want to be the broadcaster. I'm like, of course I do. Who doesn't want to be the broadcaster? So I had done a little broadcasting at, at, at UMBC and a little bit at Fordham when I was in school, but mostly, you know, you just, you know it's, it's stuff you, you just pick up from being, you know, a fan of sports. And so I started doing the broadcast in 2007, 2008, and 14 seasons later, I'm still doing their basketball and their football and some of the other schools around the area here. I'm doing their games. I did a volleyball match last week. I did volleyball. Uh, I did eight basketball games two, last weekend because we had a tournament we hosted at Caldwell. Then on Tuesday night, I did a volleyball match at Felician. And then Wednesday night, I did basketball at Caldwell. And then I did a basketball game at Felician on Saturday. So, you know, that's it became, it became like another and it's not, you know, it's not a second career because it's not a, it's not you can't just do that. It's not enough, but it's a nice side thing. Keeps me in the sports world, keeps me in the college world that I really like. And now I've met all, now I have like, I got, it's almost like I have another alma mater at Caldwell. You know, I go to some of their road games and I just I went up to their game last on, on Saturday and just saw that just to watch the team. So you make those connections and they're. You know, and, and just like any place else, just like when I was at Fordham, just like I was at UMBC, the people, the coaches, they don't stay at that school forever. They move other places. So now my friend from UMBC, the women's soccer coach, she's the women's soccer coach down at South Florida going to the national you know, NCAA tournament every year. So you end up with people, you end up with friends all over and all over the world and all over the sports world. And it's just just keeping those, keeping contact, keeping those relationships up just to, just to have them there. And they're always there. This is a really cool context to this. Cause we've heard other people talk, you know, people come on here and they have like these brilliant insights that we talked through about being in the right place at the right time in different, different contexts. And yours wasn't like a physical space and time. Yours is literally like the right place was to maintain these long-term relationships. And then those people have kind of like disseminated and carried you with them so everything they touch, you kind of just touch through proxy. And it's kind of been your, it sounds like the, the thing you've built your entire career off of to this point, even your side hustle, keeping you in college sports. Yeah. And that, that relationship there was, you know, knowing Linda being friends with her. And then when I went to Caldwell, I didn't even realize that their sports information director was someone I knew before. I didn't know he had gone to Caldwell. He was at Virginia Commonwealth when my friend who's now at South Florida, who I talked about when she was the coach, when she was the soccer coach at, at, at I had met him then. I did, had forgotten that he was at Caldwell, that he moved to Caldwell. And I get there, I'm like, what are you doing here? And then I didn't realize. So then that, so there was just a, uh, it's, it's, a it's another part of my world. It's like the, when you look at your LinkedIn, you look at people who are connected and you go, how are these three people all connected? How did that one know that one? And then you go, oh, they're from there. And it's from a third. So that, the LinkedIn picture kind of puts it in perspective, but even before there was LinkedIn, there was connecting through, you know, all right, it's, it, it, there's not much in common, UMBC, 
Fordham, Caldwell, South Florida, and uh, and VCU don't have a lot in common. Like that, it's not schools. There's no rival. None of those are rivals with each other. No one, you know, rarely do they even play each other, and they're different levels and they're different everything. But you know, now I and I'm not so much at VCU because she hasn't been there for a long time. But you know, now I have I have people at all of those places. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of the patterns I'm seeing here is you've just been really good at creating opportunities for yourself with specifically with your networks, but also the PR world is creating like that your job is to create opportunities for your clients. Do you have like a formula that you kind of try to follow for like, how do I create an opportunity for myself to get into this network? Or how do I create an opportunity for my client to get into this marketing realm of, you know, like with Tony with Triller, do you, is there a formula that you follow that says like, this is what works and this is how you create an opportunity that's going to pan out? For sure. I think it's outside in. I think the first part of it is, is finding the opportunities for the clients. So the National Lacrosse League is a good example. Our struggle has always been getting the good stories. I know that a good reporter doesn't care if it's Major League Baseball or NFL or Fordham Basketball or Caldwell Lacrosse or Tiddlywinks on the from the elementary school if it's a good story they care about it being a good story now it's easier to sell when you're going to pitch something with a yankee but if i have a good story it doesn't matter that it's lacrosse in the sense that if you want to get a good kind of personal story done so how do we get those good stories what's a way for us to learn and we could have a phone call with the public relations people from the teams and we can send out questionnaires and things like that, but it's really hard to get the right answer. If questionnaire, they fill out an answer. You can't follow up. Or if you do, you know, you can do that. And we did that one year. So we had the questionnaires. We each picked like the best, like 10 people. And then we had calls with them and, and learned a little more. And we got some good stories out of it. We had a great story in New York about Kieran McArdle, who's a player for the New York team in, in um, it's called the Riptide. It's a new team in the National Lacrosse League and his other job, because a lot of the lacrosse guys, it's not a full-time job. They have other full-time jobs. He's a, an elementary school teacher in Manhattan. So we had a reporter, we called Howie Kustoy, who's a guy I know from the New York Post, who generally writes about pro sports, but he, they're never going to write about the National Lacrosse League, pro box lacrosse league. They're not going to cover it as a sport. Like the Newsday might, because it's on Long Island, but they're not going to cover it day to day. So what's going to make a story for the New York Post? An interesting story about a day in the life of a guy who plays professional lacrosse at the highest level. The NLL is the highest level, the best lacrosse league in the world. But by day, he's a full-time elementary school teacher at PS whatever in Manhattan. And so how he followed him around for the day. And he went and he met him at the, in the morning and he went to school with him and he went through with all the kids and he met him. They went to practice that night or, or the, 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 the practice they had before the game. And then he went to the game and he covered that. And then the pandemic hit. So he, they didn't run the story because this is March of, of 2020. They didn't run the story because we're going to run. You can't run a story about that when no one's playing anymore. They're not, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't fit for them to run the story in, in March or April like they were going to. So they... Um, they actually finally did run the story last week. Uh, and the timing of them running the story was interesting because 
to get those stories. So that's how we got that story. So he had written on his, he had written teacher on his questionnaire. And we called and said, tell me about your teaching. So you learn more about that story. So to me, to get that story, that's a, that's a, that's a public relations win from, from nothing, not from nothing, but from, they're not going to write about that unless someone from our public relations world found the good story, married it with the writer. And the story turned out just perfect, fabulous, perfect. Kieran was extremely happy. The team loved it. The league loved it. Howie loved it because he got a great story out of it. He ended up going back, following up with him and doing kind of like a, this happened then and now it happened now. Uh, and this is where we are now. So we decided this year when the National Lacrosse League got a deal with ESPN and TSN in Canada to run all their games on ESPN plus every game, the whole year is going to be an ESPN plus a bunch of games will be on ESPN linear and TSN's doing the same thing. They we're going to have a media day. They're going to bring in 50 of the guys in Canada. Like I'm going to Canada. And I got on a plane and I got tested before I left, tested when I landed, tested before I left. You have to get swabs all over the place to go to Canada and come out of Canada. And I'm going to sit in the room where they're doing the interviews and they're asking the guys about their stories. And I want to find five or 10 stories. We found a, we found an airline pilot. We found a guy who's a diver for an electric uh, for the electric company in in somewhere in, in uh, Brampton, Ontario, that he and he shows pictures. He's full diving gear, diving, fixing like valves, incredible stories that we're not going to find. So now for me to get back to the way that to the question is me finding those stories and 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 building it from the outside. And now I've got now I've got the relationship with Howie. Right, because I've given him a good story. I've got the relationships now with the with the folk with with the team and with all those. And then those just becomes it's not me going out and saying, "Hey, I want to be your friend." I want to be. It's me doing that, and the the story really coming through. And that's no good if that's not a good story. And if Kieran wasn't awesome, it wouldn't be a good story. That be it would be that the best thing is you have to find the right story. And once you've got it, then all that becomes just part of the. It's not a concerted effort that I'm going to go and some, no, some people do. Some people go and it works for them to the networking events and they meet people. And Joe is a, Joe Favorito was really good at that. Like, I don't, I just don't think I'm good at that. I'm not good at going to an event and giving my card out. And, and, and I just, I'm not that guy, but Joe really is. And that helps me because by kind of osmosis, I get, I ended up getting connected to people that way, which is really good. So what is, let's look at this through a different lens. Say you're the guy, the lacrosse guy, or you're an athlete up and coming, or you, you know, you're looking for a PR firm. How can somebody in that position make a newsworthy story for themselves that's going to get noticed? Yeah, it just it really depends. Um, you know, making a newsworthy story. I think something kind of has to be a sometimes something is a story or it's not. Uh, you can do things that are newsworthy by achieving things you can have newsworthy things kind of thrust upon you by happenstance overcoming obstacles everyone loves a great story of someone who's over, had to overcome something very significant in their world to, to get to where they are sometimes you know and as great as lacrosse is some of the guys just like any other sport there isn't like a great story there so i can't go through all 50 guys and find 50 stories and just every single guy is not going to be a story. And sometimes people want to be that. And sometimes they, they don't. 
And, and that's, we respect that too. Everyone doesn't have to be a media maven or a media person. But if you've got something that's, that's a story that's, that, that has some legs to it, that someone outside of the world of, that you live in is going to be interested in it, you know, you, you, it's, it's, it's being honest and it's, it's like reflecting on what that is and what kind of makes you different. Again, the stories that are different are the things that are interesting to people. And again, it doesn't have to be that they're a, a major league baseball player or, you know, a, a gold medal soccer athlete or anything or so or whatever. You just have to have kind of something different and something unique to offer. And it sounds like there's something to the uniqueness for that one example you gave, he was just simply a teacher, right? But it was in that environment. So unique to that situation or that circumstance that you're in, that just sheds some light onto your willingness and ability to overcome or achieve within a certain space. Is that something that I, as you were talking, I thought about a PR rep for a personal brand. And I don't know if that's really, I mean, that's really what you're doing for these people, right? Is creating this personal image that others can relate to and buy into them so that I mean, just by happenstance, like you said, now I'm also buying your product because I trust this individual because now I've heard their story. Right. Well, that's where the, you know, you'll have someone, an athlete will have his own personal publicist or, or, or an entertainer. Let's, let's even use an entertainer as an example, because we've been, we're 40 minutes plus into this almost. And I haven't even talked about my main client that I've been working for for 13 years, 12 years which is the comic conventions, the Wizard World Comic Cons, and now Fan Expo uh, Company has taken over the six Wizard World shows that the most prominent shows. So now I'm part of the Fan Expo family. So with Fan Expo and the comic conventions, it's really pop culture conventions. I'm working, and this is the same as working with athletes, except it's entertainers. The entertainers, uh, in addition to coming to the events and signing autographs for fans, some of them will be available to us to do interviews beforehand to let folks know that they're coming to the show. And some of them will have a publicist I have to work through that if I have an opportunity, I have to go through them and say, hey, I have this opportunity with WGN TV in Chicago. Would so-and-so be available to do a Zoom call with them on this certain, certain date? And when you're talking about someone like William Shatner, we get time with him. We know how much time we have with him. We know how many opportunities we have. We set that he tells us when we set them up, work through the publicist, get it done, um, which is great. Someone like Lou Ferrigno, if he told me this when I was nine years old, I would be pinching myself all over the place going, are you crazy? I can just call Lou Ferrigno on the phone. Isn't that crazy? I can text Lou Ferrigno and say, Lou, can you do this interview tomorrow? And he'll text back. Sure. Send me the, you know, the info. Like, imagine that. Uh, Henry Winkler is another one that, that I work through. It's not even his publicist, just his manager who keeps the schedule. And I'll say, Hey, can Henry do this so-and-so interview at this time? And he does them. So they'll have their own personal publicist. Some of them do, some of them don't that you'd work through. And then a brand that hires just like Triller having, you know, if you want to, even on scale like that, uh, Triller hiring Tony Bridinger to be their spokesperson and to, and to sponsor her car that will do certain number of interviews. Jordan Larson is another example uh, that I worked with right before the Olympics, Olympic volleyball player, Jordan Larson. I got to work with her, right? So that was just a quick like one-off project for a, a, an insole company that I do some work with, which is great. 
And, you know, she was also one that I just, you know, got to email and say, here's, here's the schedule. And she did them, which was great. Uh, trusting that we were doing it, but y'all, so, so that person might have their own publicist out there doing stuff, or they might be dependent then on whatever the team, if they're, if they're on a team, they'll use the team PR team, or, you know, they'll, they'll get the sponsor who's responsible for putting them out there to do that PR work. Um, it, it's a personal preference for them. Some of them would just prefer to not do press, which from the PR standpoint for me, I mean, when I go to a wizard world show, people say, Oh, how was it meeting, you know, whoever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know, that guy didn't really do any press. So I didn't just go over to his table to say, hi, like, I'm, I don't need that. Like I'm to me, the best guests for me are the ones who will do advanced press and do a little bit of press on site to help promote the fact that they're at the show. And Lou Ferrigno is the guy who gets it. And Lou Ferrigno has been doing these, these conventions for 25 years and he gets it that he, if he goes on that TV show in the morning on WGN in Chicago, the biggest show and biggest channel in, in the market. And if people have never heard of wizard world and never heard of comic-con and never heard of a, a, a cosplay and dread, they don't know. I have any idea what a comic-con is, but they see Lou Ferrigno on TV and he says, Hey, I'm going to be at the Rosemont convention center for the next three days. They know what the Hulk is and they're going to go and they're going to see him. So he gets it. He understands that. And some of them get it and don't want to do it. And some of them don't get it. And they, they think it's a hassle and a pain and they're going to, you know, do what they do. But um, to me, the best guests are those. What's the opportunity they're missing there? Because I think even if you're not to a point where you need a publicist or a PR rep, there's something to be said about being able to toot your own horn and talk about what you bring to the table and being able to promote yourself. What are they? Maybe we all need a PR rep to help with that, but what are we missing by not being willing to put ourselves in that social light and that media? Like it's a, it's a personal choice on that. It's, it's a, some people want to do, look, some people want to do their job like they were an accountant and like they were a, you know, whatever other job where they, they do their job and that's their job. And then they have their life and some who are in the public eye want to be more in the public eye. And I think that I think that's okay. Like, I think that the kinds of guests who come to the comic conventions tend more to be the ones who want some modicum of attention, some degree. It's a hard day for, for the celebrities. It seems like it's not a hard day. Oh, they go out there, they sign some autographs, they smile and then they make money, but it is a hard day. It's being on all day, right? You can't be sitting at your table grumpy you can't be not wanting to talk to people, not wanting to meet people. If, if that interaction isn't something you're interested in as a celebrity, a comic convention is not the place to go because that's, but most, but like someone like um, a Thomas Ian Nicholas is another favorite of mine. So Thomas Ian Nicholas, are you guys familiar with rookie of the year? The movie um, oh, yeah. it's a baseball movie. He was a kid then he was 12 and he pitched, he had his broken arm and he threw hundred miles an hour or whatever. And now he's now he's a, he's a musician. He's a super talented guy. And he came to our shows for a couple of years. And he was my, I want to say he's my Lou Ferrigno. He's my guy who would come in on Wednesday and do press all day Thursday with me, all day Friday with me. And he's a guy who gets it. He understands that letting people know that he's there is everything. And for Thomas, he always says to me, you know, people ask him, why do you, you know, why do you come to these shows? And like, I am at my table and people come up to me all day telling me how much they love me. Like, who wouldn't want that? And he's right. Like, that's what the con- that's what the convention is. Now, for some people, that's that can be exhausting, right, to have that whole day. 
um, you know, someone like um, Henry Winkler, he stands in front of his table. He doesn't even sit behind his table. He comes around in front and people, he's flagging them down as they're coming by. Hey, how you doing? Incredible, right? And Henry Winkler, one of the, one of the nicest super guys ever. But for some people, it, it, they're not missing anything by doing that, by not doing that. It's just their personality and, and that's okay. And look, it's, it's people that want to say their personal brand and their, 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 all that can be built and it can. But there's the other side of it too, that you know, if you don't want your other three hours in your day to be spent having to entertain and to, you know, because when you're doing an interview, that's a, that's a, you know, you're also entertaining. You're also kind of, you know, performing at that time. And, and some people prefer to not do that. And that's okay too. How, how can we translate this to our listeners and what can they take from this in, in the form of how can I create these opportunities for myself? How can I put myself in the right places? How can I, you know, create those right networks? Yeah, I think whatever it is, and I always say this to the, the communications classes and the sports comm classes, if I'm in and I'm saying, look, whatever, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Montclair State, for example, I'll say, you know what, your conference has the conference championship in every sport. Go to the sports information director and say, what, what sports are we hosting? Can I help do something at the, turn, at the event? I mean, I don't know how many different events I volunteer, you know, volunteered for. And it's not like you're volunteering it's 20 hours and you're, you're going to take, you know, but, but you go and you get people to see you who wouldn't normally know what you could do. And even if you were just a guy like bringing the copies out to this, you know, whatever it was that you had to get done, if you're someone that can be counted on to do that, then you've got one more person in your, in your, in your box that like knows that you could do something. I don't know how many different times I've gotten calls from someone saying, Hey, do you know somebody who could help with whatever? And I'll remember somebody who helped me. I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a friend uh, in PR uh, lives in New York city and her daughter was a college soccer player at, I keep saying temple and it's Villanova. And so Philadelphia. And so we have our wizard world show in Philadelphia. And so my friend says to me, Hey, my daughter wants to help with something with the, with the show. Can she come and help? And I'm like, well, I can, you know, and I know my friend is not going to steer me just to say, I need my daughter to do something. She knew that it would be helpful. And I had her run the press table on the days that I'm running around doing press, checking people in. And it's not, it's not a, a hard job, but it's someone that you have to really like, you have to trust that they're going to have make good decisions and be even keeled and deal with people because you're dealing with media that are checking in. You're also dealing with fans who are getting their comp tickets and there's all different kinds of people you're dealing with at that. And so, um, so I knew that from my friend saying that, that she'd be good at it. And then I watched her work for a little bit. And I'm like, she's really good. And then she calls me, she says, well, you know, I noticed that, you know, there's a lot of books and a lot of people are interested in books there. Can I, can we do some kind of a book donation program at your other shows? I'm like, well, as long as, you know, it's only me at the shows that has to do any more work, sure, go and run with it. So she's the one who calls up for the next show and she calls and finds a charity. And everyone who donates a book, so we, we started a book donation program. Anyone who donates two books gets a free photo when we donate the books and the people you know, from the charity come and pick it up on Sunday. So she took that initiative on her own to say, I wanna run this program. And now, you know, now not just because she's my friend's daughter, but because I know what she could do. Not only does she make a tremendous impact as this person working the table for me, but on her own made this initiative that 
we donated thousands of books over two years to different in St. Louis, Philly, wherever we had a show. And she did that all remotely from her phone, from her, from her computer back in wherever she was. I think she went to NYU is where she finished school. Um, and then when she said, Oh, you know, can you use me as a reference? I'm like, sure. And I get a phone call and I cannot just say, Oh, she's great. And this and that I can say, here's what she did. And then I get a, a note a couple of days later that she got the job. So to me, that's how you do it. Right. She didn't know me like through her mom. Like I had never met her, but now she made this initiative. She took back that next step and now she's got me. And then anybody else who I work with knows that I, you know, if they ask me about her or about someone else who's done that, I can make a, I can make that inform, not just, I know her, but here's what she did. And that I think was impressive enough as part of, I mean, she's impressive enough. She didn't need me to put her over the top, but maybe just to have that third party reference for somebody that, that, you know, knows what they could do. That's a real tangible thing. And that's, you know, create your little tangible thing so that you can start your network of people that way. Yeah. We've talked about that before with other guests. Like how do you create value for other people? How do you be valuable? And that example you just gave is really like what you said in that whole story is she created value and that value then transfers to, I can refer her because I know she's going to create value the next time. Yeah. Here's another one in Montclair state. I went and did my friend's class um, a couple is a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago was a, one of the times. And I always end it by saying, Hey, there's a lot of websites that I write for that I can post things for. If you, if you're like to be a writer and you want to run some stories, I can run the stories on your byline. You send me, you know, I'll edit them. We'll put them in, get a photo and there's no pay, but you'll have some stories that are on real websites. They're not like big, huge websites, but New York sports day and sports media report and, you know, whatever daily payoff. Like I have some sites that could be tailored based on whatever you want to write about. I could probably find a place to run it. And um, I had a guy who said, okay, I'd like to run some stories. And he sent, he sent me the first one. Then he says, all right, can we do the next one? And you need a little help with it. And we went through it and fixed it. And you know, his second one is better. And his third one is better. And you know, that's the initiative. And I had a guy just do that from um, uh, not St. Joe's. I had some, yeah, one of the St. Joe's students did that too. And I wrote, we wrote a story, ran it in Philly Sports Day. It was one of the, the St. Joe's ones from September. Connect with me on, in LinkedIn. I always say connect on LinkedIn with people. Yeah, I think it, it starts starts there it starts with LinkedIn and being available to people but really i think the the difference is how can you create ongoing relationships so what do you what are some pointers you have for creating a, a relationship that's going to sustain like it has to be two-sided right everybody has to bring value to the table once you're in once you have the network how do you maintain it how do you make sure that the people in that network see the value that you add to the table yeah, I think it's not always um, not always thinking in terms of what's in it for you in, in a connection or in a situation. It's what can you do to help somebody? And that help comes back. And even if it doesn't, you've you've done, you know, we call it a mitzvah. You've done you've done something, you know, that that maybe it comes back one day or maybe somebody refers that you don't even know that it connects and someone says, Oh yeah, you know, Jerry's a guy you should talk to or whatever. I just think it's like thinking thinking in terms of, um, of a bigger picture and, and, and how you're, you say you call it bringing value to somebody, just being there for them for something that might help them. Or if you see, you know, where there, there's different groups on Facebook that I'm on, there's a, there's a public relations group, 
there's a, an announcers group because sometimes I do some PA announcing too, and it leaks in a little bit to my other voice work. Um, and there's some other groups that sometimes you see someone on there and you just offer a little help. You offer, you know, some, some way to connect them to something or just start, just, if you're thinking kind of of the other person first and how you can help somebody else, that usually comes back around. Yeah. When it's about building trust too, like part of that is just, yeah, you know, you mentioned it earlier, like I'm going to call Jerry because I know Jerry brings good interviews. I can trust Jerry. What is it that makes someone trustworthy in that aspect, in that realm? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's it, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. You can, you can put on, look, and I have known, look, I've worked with a lot of PR people. I've worked with good ones. I've worked with great ones. My Alan Taylor, I mean, Alan, Alan Taylor, first, first of all, Alan Taylor, who, who owned Alan Taylor Communications when I started working there in 1996 is the titan of the industry. He's the absolute, like, you know, he goes back into the, he was working alley fights and, and he's the, he's the mentor for all of us who, who went through Alan Taylor through. Um, and that's a, that's a, that was a place that was like a combination of you heard about like the big, it wasn't a big agency. When I was there, there were like 14 or 15 people there. It's turned into a bigger organization and agency now and some of the principals now were the people who were there when I was there but from that and from other experiences whether it's working with publicists um, for for athletes or for celebrities I've worked with some really really great ones uh, some mediocre you know do what you got to do and get out at five o'clock ones and then some just really some really you know bad ones what do you look for in someone when you're looking to work with someone what do you look for as far as trustworthiness like how, how do you decide I'm going to work with this person or nah, I don't really trust them. Yeah. And that can be, that can be a challenge. And I'm, I'm not always right. I'm not always right. Um, right now uh, I got referred uh, a couple of years, it was a year and a half ago or so I started with these guys. So I have a friend, uh, Harry Chickma and they connected me with these guys and it's called 360 hoops. And it's a, it's a basketball hoop. Okay. But it had, it's one, one stanchion that has three baskets on it facing out at 120 degree angles and the game is played on a circle. So that sits in the middle and it's three on three and you can score on any of the three baskets and it makes very efficient use of the space. You could put three or four on the same place where you'd have a regular court, just the way the size of the court is. It's great for kids. It's great for uh, teens. It's uh, it's great for uh, recreation. It's, and then finding that. So they connected me with them. It's like, you talk to these guys. So I've had things before where they say, Hey, talk to these guys. And I've kind of done the, the polite pass and I'll get back to them. I'll say, this isn't, the timing isn't right for me, or I've got too much on my plate and, and what have you. And uh, just the passion that these guys had for this, starting this thing from nothing from zero. And um, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a former coach. It's an entrepreneur. They brought in a CEO from Nike uh, to kind of oversee everything. And now it's just starting to build. And it's a very small project. It's small, but it's people who I know are really passionate about this. And we've, we've made you know a lot, myself and a couple of them know a lot of the same people in the basketball world, just from osmosis of having been at Fordham and been in a couple of places where people have traveled around and we know some of the same people. And that's when you just know, like, you know, we're going to try this thing. And if it works, it's going to be great. And if it doesn't, I've made a bunch of new friends. And sometimes you just get the opposite feeling. And I've had that too, where, I, where I'll talk to people that first time. And it's like, they're, they're all over the place and I don't see it. And I could be wrong, 
but usually the instinct is usually the instinct is right. After 30 years of doing this, 30 years ago, I graduated from this place. There, there's a common thread there too that you've been pulling through this whole thing, and it's how much you've enjoyed these different things that you are doing, or how you've put yourself in places to enjoy something, and it's led to something else, like being the voice for for uh, Caldwell. What's their mascot? I was gonna the Cougars. The Cougars. I wore my Cougars jersey, my Cougar sweatshirt today. The voice of the Cougars. But I wore my Cougars. Yep. (laughs) Like, and it was just because you thoroughly, like, you you appreciated this person. You thoroughly enjoyed basketball. An opportunity came out of that. You're working with these people because you enjoy them. You enjoy basketball. They've got a cool product that you think might be. It's it's giving you something, even if it's not a huge financial return. And it seems like you've been able to do that for a majority of your career. How are you able, because you just even said, like, you're able to tell people no. And I feel like that's hard, especially for somebody who's out on their own, trying to make ends meet, trying to build a network to be like, this doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do this. How are you able to do that? I think, yeah, I think I used to be really bad at no. And it's when you're younger, no is hard. Like when you're in a position where there's, um, any kind of opportunity, you just, you want to say yes. And I think even, even when I first got out of the fight league uh, and got the same thing, it was the passion I got for this. You know, they love mixed martial arts. They love working directly with fighters. You know, that was a good yes. And then there's, there were some bad yeses along the way that you, you know, and you, you got to find your way to get out of it at some point. And then I started learning from those experiences, learning from those bad yeses and there's been some no's. I think I had one that was right around the same time that was a local here in New Jersey. And it was a um, mixed martial arts studio and they were opening it. And not that it was going to be bad. It just wasn't like right for me. And, and there was nothing wrong with it at all. It was, it was the guys were great. And there was something though, that just wasn't, I don't, I didn't think I would enjoy doing a grand opening and doing and trying to figure out how it was going to work and who's, I didn't see the story in it. I didn't see what would work. I got to find, like, I'm almost going to find a path now. I think about it, you know, what's the path. So when I'm talking to these guys from 360, I'm like, there's a path here. They're going to have events with kids. I'm going to promote that. They're going to have, maybe they'll do a, um, uh, a deal with a college athlete and I'll, I'll work with, like, I got, I see some paths here of ways to make what I'm going to do successful um, rather than like, I'm going to have an event at an opening of a store you know, mixed martial arts store. And I don't know what the story is going to be and no one's going to come. And I'm going to look like, I don't know what I'm doing because like, let me, let me, before we even get into this, say no to it. And it's hard to do that when you have never had one of those things go bad. So how do you, because you are, (laughs) you said earlier about people having multiple things because you are kind of the poster child of having multiple irons in a fire, but I feel like, and you keep talking about how much this has evolved over time. How has technology allowed you to keep this PR thing going and still be able to touch so much? And what do you think that it's going to look like in the future? Because the reason I ask this is, as you're talking about this and the example you gave with go get a story and then go tell the outlet that you have a story. I could just kind of start my own little PR firm in my neighborhood this weekend. And because of the technology that's available, is that true? Or am I thinking way too simple of this? Well, the technology, again, a tool is a tool. Like if I picked up a guitar, I wouldn't know what the first thing to do with it. It's a guitar. If I give it to my friend, Angela Petrilli, 
who's the best guitarist I know, she's going to make magic with that guitar, right? She's going to, she's going to play some song either that she already like, right. They're going to make magic. So the tool is just a tool the, the skills, right. The skills are what make a, the, the relationships, the, the eye for a story, the listen, I say listen twice. Joe taught me this, listen twice, speak once, sometimes listen five times, speak once. Like, and it's hard. It's hard for people to do. You guys seem especially good at it. Like not just today, but in some of the other interviews, you, you listen to the answer. And I, there's a really good, um, a really good podcast that I think you guys uh, would really like. It's called two writers slinging yang. And it's Jeff Perlman, who I know a little bit, uh, a super duper guy, Jeff Perlman. He's written some really good books. And I got to interview him last year on a book he did about the Lakers. And for Wizard World, we were doing the virtual experiences. So I got to interview him. I just, we, we did it with celebrities, but whenever I saw an author or something I wanted, I had him on. Charles Learson I had on because he's a Fordham guy because he wrote a book um, about Butch Cassidy. So I, I wanted to have him on about that, but I got to have him on there, but he's so good at like pinning down things like that, like talking about listening and talking. And he said he had Michael Kay on. Uh, it was on, it was actually, I think I'll listen to it this morning, uh, his latest podcast. And he had Michael K on and he was talking about good interviewers, what it takes. You should definitely listen to this Michael K one and you should watch Michael K do interviews on the Yes Network. It's amazing. He's so good. He says, most interviewers have their list of questions and they go down their list of questions. And Michael K says, yes, yeah, sometimes someone will say, you know, oh, I just killed five people and buried in the backyard and they'll go on to the next question. And they won't have listened to it and they won't have heard it. And that's the, that's, that's a, it's an interviewing skill, but it's, it's, it's a life skill, right? When you're having a conversation with a person and you just can't wait to say what you're going to say, you didn't even listen to what the last person said. You're not going to learn anything from that. You're not going to get anywhere from that. And you could have a great computer that has a great microphone and a great camera and you could create a crappy podcast or you could be a not good PR person having the best tools in the world. So you could get by, I could get by with just a phone with, you know, with nothing and, and be, and be okay enough at my job and good at my job. If I'm good at my job, I'm going to be good at it. The best tools in the world aren't going to help me if I'm not. Well, I'm, we've already had you for 90 minutes. So I want to be gracious of your time. Can people find you somewhere, connect with you somewhere, or do you want to stay private? They can. No, it's uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll bring out my I'll bring out my Vince Lombardi. So, in addition to being a Yankees fan since I was nine, I'm a Packers fan since I was nine. Lynn Dickey and David Whitehurst were my quarterbacks. So my handle is GB Pack Jerry, GB P A C K Jerry on everything. Um, so I have now I have to be a Packer. So I, I can never work like for the Vikings or the Bears because my handle is GB Pack Jerry. I would never be able to do that. So I keep Vince Lombardi, who's also a Fordham guy, which I didn't know when I was going to go to Fordham. Believe it or not, I didn't know that until I got to school and saw a Vince Lombardi Center. Maybe that's why I went to Fordham. Wow. He's a, he's a, he's a graduate from- You didn't Fordham. even know. You just a connected little bit a dot. Me. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he invented the Packers. Exactly. The Super Bowl. GB Pack awesome. Jerry. So that's how you find me. Or if you type my name into Google- uh, you'll see a lot of stuff. Some of it great. Some of it, you know, I've had some people not like me along the way, but that's all part of life. They're everywhere. You connect with some great people. And I think you're doing something awesome. You're helping people tell their story, get their message out. 
you seem to enjoy it. We always enjoy our conversations with you. So thanks for what you do and for being so supportive of us as well. We are super grateful for that. No, you guys are great. And I'm had, proud to, to help. I know we got a couple more coming along the way here soon for you. So uh, we'll just keep, uh, keep bringing the good ones for you. All right, Jerry. Guys, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jerry. It was a, a fun conversation.